Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash I am divine 2022. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living today with Rev. Ellen Grace O'Brien from the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California. To ask questions or join the discussion, email us at yogahour at unity.fm. Now, here's your host, Rev. Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome to the Yoga Hour. Consider this our time to open our hearts and our minds to the infinite and to new possibilities. I'm Ellen Grace O'Brien, and I'll be sharing with you today some insights and practices from the spiritual tradition of yoga, the ancient science of self and God-realization. Yoga is a familiar Sanskrit word today. Um, Many associate it with exercise, however, but it has, of course, a much broader and deeper meaning, referring to union or unity, bringing our attention and our awareness to consciously abide in our spiritual nature or to be restored to our original wholeness. This is self-realization. And of course, it's not just knowing this truth. It is living in harmony with it. Today's topic in our series of art and spiritual practice is called Arriving Late on Time, Poetry and Awareness. As an art form, uh, poetry can use words to take us really where words can't go. So today we're going to look at poetry and more broadly writing as art, as encounter, as spiritual practice, as a way to connect and a way to separate. And joining us uh, today is poet and Zen Buddhist priest Zoketsu Norman Fisher. For many years he's taught at the San Francisco Zen Center. He's presently a senior Dharma teacher there, as well as founder and spiritual director of the Everyday Zen Foundation, an organization dedicated to adapting Zen Buddhist teachings to Western culture. His chief interests, in addition to poetry and traditional Zen and Buddhist teachings, are the adaptation of Zen meditation and understanding to the worlds of business, law, conflict resolution, interreligious dialogue, care of the dying, the world of technology, and anything else he can think of. His website is everydayzen.com. Org. And today, hopefully, he'll be reading a little bit from his new book of poems um, called The Strugglers. Welcome, Norman. I'm so delighted you're back on the Yoga Hour. Very nice to be here. Thank you. And before we start talking about words and poetry, let's begin with a moment of centering meditation. In this moment, let's simply become aware of our breath. And breathing in, feel that we are diving into the infinite ocean of divine consciousness within us. Breathing out, feel that we're letting go of restlessness, of constraints, of the past, 
and even concerns about the future. Breathing in, it's breathing into this moment, breathing out, letting go. And then simply attending to the breath, noticing the feeling of cool air coming into the nostrils, entering the body, filling the lungs, and moving back out, warm air. You may notice your body. Simply start to relax if you've been holding any tension. simple centering meditation by being aware of the breath is something we can do really at just moments throughout the day. Calm down, let the thoughts settle. And when our thoughts settle, we can touch that peace that is within us, that emanates from our essential nature can invite this peace now to pervade the mental field and the physical body. And as we conclude this brief moment of centering, let us intend to have the peace that is within us overflow as blessing and compassion for all beings everywhere. We'll begin our first segment on arriving late on time, which is a a line I I took from (laughs) Norman's work. Um, We'll begin just looking at words and poetry itself. In the Judeo-Christian tradition, the Genesis story of creation um, has creation springing forth from God's spoken words. And in the Vedic tradition, supreme consciousness moves into manifestation through the sacred vibration of the syllable known as Om. And in the Christian Gospel of John, it is written, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So there is this ancient um, connection in our spiritual traditions uh, to the Word and the divine. Um, Norman, what do you see as this relationship between words um, um, and creation, perhaps, or um, spiritual understanding? Mm. Well, language is so mysterious. And uh, it is, to me, it's completely wrapped up with human consciousness. Uh, I think human consciousness begins with with language and uh you know what's the difference between a human being and an animal human beings are animals of course but we're we're animals who have the capacity for language and so uh whatever it is and and we're so we're inside of it so we can't get outside of it to look at it you know but whatever it is that constitutes human consciousness it is completely wrapped up with this mystery of language, um, we think of language. You know, we think of consciousness as prior to language, and then language is just uh, labeling things. But I think it's much more than that. It's it's uh, it's a whole birth of what we are and who we are and what we feel as people comes out of language. Mm-hmm. So for me, language is very dark and mysterious and unknowable. And whenever I'm writing, I, I feel I'm writing really about that, and I'm really feeling my way into that. So. In, in a way, you know, I don't know anything at all about it because it's so intimate. It's so intimate with what the way I think and the way I am that um, that I can't I can't get outside of it. Mm, I, I think I can just uh, have a sense of what you mean, and just in terms of my own experience of writing, um, when I write, um, it often feels to me. Like I'm just a, um, you know, in the best, <laughs> the best of times, uh, like I'm just sort of a, 
a receiving station or something. I don't, yeah, I don't know right. how to describe right. it. That you know, the, something comes into consciousness and then it gets written down. And uh, in the best work that comes, it surprises me. And so it's yeah, it's something beyond um, just thought translated yeah. into words. Um, and of course, in in yoga, we we teach that there is the there is a creative power in language. You know, there's something about the energy that moves into creation, and words and speech are are kind of that link. You know, between the subtle, um, what, the subtle whatever it is, <laughs> and yeah. what you, what you can see and feel and touch. And so, words have this tremendous power of creation in them as a step from that mysterious unknown into, um, you know, what we see as, as manifest. Mm -hmm. Uh, And how do you see poet, how do you see poetry fitting into that? Well, for me, poetry, you know, of course we use language all the time, every day in very ordinary ways to uh, express our desires and get things done and, so on. I mean, language is the most fantastic technology ever invented. I mean, much more than computers are nothing compared to language. Mm-hmm. So I think that we use it instrumentally, and we and we don't really uh, plumb the depths of what it means to us and and how it comes to us. And I think that's what poetry does. Poetry mm-hmm. brings language. I think you said this in in the introduction that it it makes words do what 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 words can't do. It's mm-hmm. language, language at the very edge, at the very boundaries of language. So it, so it opens up the mysteries of language so that we can feel it, even though we can't understand it or explain it. Poetry helps us to feel the mystery at the edges of our consciousness. Mm-hmm. So using language to uh, almost uh, counter language or defeat language or open language up. Yeah, and and perhaps in yeah, in some ways to make it more conscious. I as I was listening yeah. to you, I was thinking about the experience of being on silent retreat that I've had, and I know that you know many that I've shared silent retreat with have, which is um, you know at the end of it, kind of having this awareness of how um, powerful speech is and um, how mysterious it is, as you say, um, to where perhaps before a time of silence, we we don't have that. You know, we're just kind of on That's automatic, right. <laughs> automatic with the blah, 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 right. blah, coming out That's of our right. mouths. <laughs> right. But then, and so poetry also seems that it's a way of bringing that into a stronger focus and yeah. um, and in my own yeah, experience a, yeah. I was just saying my own experience of poetry yeah. it, it frequently comes out of that silence mm-hmm. that's right yeah and I was going to say too that uh, we haven't been discussing this but there's a whole other dimension here uh, the difference between writing and spe- speech mm. poetry of course originates in speech and song you know, they they think that the first poetry was sung by mm-hmm. people working in the fields uh, or people in prayer, uh, so that poetry existed for a long time before there was writing. But writing adds a whole other dimension to our exp- experience of language, because when you write, uh, I've often, and many of my poems could directly uh, uh express this, the strangeness that I could be writing something now and you could be reading it and I could be dead for 500 years. <laughs> you <know? Yes>. Exactly. <laughs> and, you're, and you're reading it and, and so I'm, I'm very conscious when I'm writing that, not, not that people will read my poetry in 500 years, but, but the, that the, the, the fact that in the moment of writing is in, in a kind of eternal moment in the way that speech is not, because when I'm speaking... Uh, now we have recording, you know, so mm-hmm. it's possible that my speaking can also be preserved. But generally, the speech act is a, is a is an act that's completely tied to my body and my personality mm-hmm. um, in a very concrete way. You hear my voice and so on. Mm-hmm. But when I'm writing, 
there's a kind of abstract eternal quality to it so that I could be writing in a moment that and that, and that moment could be reproduced precisely in the mind of a reader long time past that moment so uh so writing adds another dimension to this mystery of language that is is fascinating and and nowadays uh poetry there is spoken word poetry of course but because we have writing writing is uh, the medium mostly for poetry and uh writing and reading so that's a whole other experience i i'm a reader so i often have this wonderful experience uh, in reading of being in touch with uh, another person and another mm-hmm. heart across mm-hmm. time and space, and making it my literally my own. It becomes my own mind and my own words. It's, it's an amazing experience, really. It it is, and and I'm and I'm thinking about how um, with poetry in particular that we have um, as much as is available to us. We we have the opportunity to experience, um, you know, what our spiritual traditions would call transmission. Mm-hmm. Um, from these works, you know, to, yes, that's to right. sort of tap into that consciousness. And, of course, you know, I think poetry is just really, you know, the best way of pointing to that. But but I think there are people who love poetry and people who don't. You know, I'm astounded that there yeah. are people who don't, but I, I, have, I have a couple of friends who don't. You know, I have one <laughs> yeah. who, who's, a, who's also a spiritual teacher, and, you know, she, she usually says to me, you know, after my um, Sunday lesson, you know, she said, it would just be so great if you would leave out the poetry. <laughs> you know? And I think, you know, that the poetry is the best part, you know, that, that is pointing to something that I can't say. Um, yeah. But she's, um, you know, her, she's really tuned into, um, you know, more the wisdom of it. Um, right, right. In a in a different way than than I am, but um, but I have found that poetry is such a powerful way for us to experience the consciousness that that the mystics are pointing to. You know, if only to just have a little taste. I mean, look at how popular the even the translations of Rumi are today. That that's just amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. Yeah. And in your own um, background, you, you have um, a richness in your own landscape of seeing, you know, um, poetry uh, influenced by uh, your background in Judaism and then also Zen Buddhism. So what do you think about um, how tradition um, connects with poetry? Mm. Well... Both those traditions that you mentioned are um, come out of or have produced a uh, brilliant uh, literature. You know, the Zen, uh, Zen, all Zen scripture is essentially poetic. You know, the Zen stories are essentially poetic stories. They're, they're really poems. Uh, and then, of course, b- besides the, the stories themselves, there are poems. Uh, Zen poems written about the stories and there's a whole vast mm-hmm. literature. In a way, Zen is a tradition completely based on the tradition of Chinese poetry. So, uh, the and one of the key uh, topics in Zen is our relationship to language and how we need to be both inside and outside language to truly appreciate our humanity. And in a, in a way, the same is true in Judaism. You know, the Bible is such an incredible literary document, really, when you think about it. It's it's a source text for really all of Western literature. So, And, and again, and Judaism also has a very powerful uh, viewpoint uh, on, on language. I was joking with folks the other day that um, in the Jewish heaven... Uh, People are not singing and playing on harps. They're they're discussing long into the night, and the discussion <laughs> about words and language and the meaning of words never ends. It just goes on and on and on. That's the Jewish heaven, <laughs> because there there is you know the, the, in, in Judaism the um, in the Talmud you know it's quite an extraordinary document where it'll question you know the meaning of a word let's say in the Bible and they'll go on and on and on about. Uh, the different possibilities, and your mind is spinning with how could they possibly get all that out of this one word? And, and so, um, so those traditions, with their perplexing uh, discussions of, of language and the meaning of words and how words um, c- 
connect us to reality and and divorce us from reality at the same time. Uh-huh. Yeah. That whole uh, uh, discussion and the, and the images that come out of it are always in my poetry. Yeah, and 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 so I'm just thinking too. We're um, we're getting ready to take a break, which we'll do in just a mm-hmm. moment. But I want to say when we come back, uh, I'm going to ask uh, Norman to read from his new book of poetry, The Strugglers, um, from a poem called "65," which was written in memory of his friend Rabbi Alan Liu, who died suddenly at age 65 in 2009. So we're going to take a break right now. But I promise uh, when we come back, we won't. Just us be uh, looking at the menu. We'll actually have uh, something to eat in the way of poetry. Uh, you're listening to the Yoga Hour with our guest, Norman Fisher. His um, website is everydayzen.org. We'll be right back with you. If you've been inspired by the programming on Unity Online Radio, we hope you'll give your support so others may be inspired too. This online radio network depends on the love offerings of listeners to continue operating and expand its outreach. Please visit www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Thank you. Daily Word, inspiration, and practical teachings to help people of all faiths live healthy, prosperous, and meaningful lives. My mind and body are in an ongoing conversation. My body responds to my thoughts, and my mind continually receives messages from my body, especially when something is out of order. However, I am more than mind and body. I am created in the image and likeness of God. I am first and foremost spirit. As I bring my spiritual awareness into the conversation between mind and body, I keep myself in balance. I know my body and its needs. I nurture it with food and water, rest and exercise. I also send an affirmation of life and renewal to every cell of my being. With spirit-centered thoughts, words, and actions, I claim my true identity as a whole and healthy expression of God, mind, body, and spirit. Daily Word magazine is now available in a digital format. To learn how you can subscribe to this online interactive magazine, go to www.dailyword.com. Does the idea of being a vegetarian or a vegan intrigue you? Is it something you've pondered? Listen each week as Victoria Moran, author of Main Street Vegan, shows you how to make the shift to a sustainable lifestyle for both you and the planet. Each week you'll learn about the latest on the vegan life. It's not just for celebrities and moguls, but for people just like you who want to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Guests will range from unity ministers to vegan authors, activists, physicians, chefs, and even some of those glittery celebs. There'll be recipes, ideas, tips for going vegan at your own pace, and ways to make a difference for animals and the planet at every meal. Tune in Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Central Time for Main Street Vegan, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Listening to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way with Reverend Ellen Grace O'Brien. We now return to the Yoga Hour. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Ellen Grace O'Brien and I'm joined today by Zoketsu Norman Fisher. And in this segment, we're going to look at creativity and the spiritual life. But as I promised in the first segment, when we were talking about words pointing beyond what words can say, that I would ask Norman to read um, from his new book of poems called The Strugglers. 
And um, this is a poem dedicated uh, to his friend, Alan, who passed on. So, Norman, will you read us, read to us from that poem? Sure, maybe I'll say a word uh, about it before I do. Um, this is 65 uh, short prose paragraphs, prose, so it's a prose poem, but it's pretty long because of the 65 paragraphs. It takes a while to read. But uh, it's in memory of uh, Rabbi Alan Liu, who was my dearest friend for more than 45 years. And we were friends before he was a rabbi and before I had started to practice then. We were at the Iowa Writers' Workshop together as young writers and became <laughs> friends then. And we were on this path that, you know, led us in all these different ways. And we ended up uh, practicing Zen together, and then he became a rabbi, and we, we started the Jewish Meditation Center together. So we we combined our spiritual practices, and um, also we were both writers. So we, we had a unique and long-lasting friendship, and he was at a retreat where he was teaching meditation to rabbis in January of 2009, and he just went out for a walk and never came back. He was dead mm. on the road, and nobody knew exactly what happened, probably a stroke or heart attack. Mm. And so it was a real shock, because we were he was vital, he was you know energetic, and we were doing things together, and then he died. So it was a big event in my life. I was mm. full of grief, and changed my life as one should, you know, when losing mm-hmm. someone close. Mm-hmm. And eventually mm-hmm. wrote this poem uh, in in memory of him. And the poem, in a way, is, is we were saying earlier about how strange and intimate language is. Uh, in, in the poem, I'm actually talking with him. I'm, I'm actually connecting with him in, in, a, in a very real way. So mm-hmm. the poem is um, illuminated by his presence. So I'll read you uh, the last few paragraphs, starting with number 61. A pressure as the walls approached, it's in illumined grasses, you sense an aura around your words. I'm not sure how I knew, but what a surprise. Dream before or later, not words exactly, not pictures or sounds, but senses of things that the named perceived thing would only dimly suggest the things and their presences not physical but not not all of this is your body now that the walls dissolved and the orchard behind it we do not have any words for that our words only take us this far here we set them gently down in the grass but going this far we are already where we must be we use words to say that. 62. Mm. Becoming still more unspeakable. Can't defend any action. All action brings dire result. Everything ends badly because it ends at all. The prayer shawl that wrapped you. The illumined presence, not a face anyone could see, yet we call it a face. And we said, you cannot see the face and did not know what we meant, though we were certain when we said it. The contradictions confirm themselves, connected as they are to their absences, which are yours. Mm -hmm. 63. The rabbis spoke of God as if they knew him, they did. In sacred syllables, events going on there, praising each other, speaking in each other's name, no one can. It's in the praise itself, wailing at the wall, waiting for generations there. Nothing happens and brings violence. 64. Of endings, none. Of stopping, nothing. Of evening and morning, one day. Then seven. Then twelve. Then more. Explosions of being, which is affluent, one, which is dark. 65. Not wanting to say goodbye, God be with you, you be with God in sky, cloud, field. Not wanting to hear dirt drum on pine casket, decisive, mournful, distinct, shoveling till holes filled up and you are tucked in earth asleep. Why insist on one? What is one? And the things that fly up and over so many, the days, the weeks, the years, the secret 
endings begin again. What place there is seems glum. I set my jaw. Am Jew, am word, and tested. Mm. So it ends there. Mm. So it's so rich, and of course, I I want to encourage um, our listeners to get the book and read the whole thing. Um, no, I mean, thank that, you. this the sixty five. Um, pieces of it. I mean, there's so much, it's so rich. I mean, even the way it, the way it begins, you know, I can't walk across the room without forgetting why I wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. What, what I was after. Uh, mm-hmm. I arrive at the other end of the room. I don't know why I'm there. I can't tell in what precise sense I am there. Is it some sort of trick and illusion? I mean, it's, that is such a beautiful description of the brain uh, of a person who is grieving. Yeah, <laughs> that is exactly what it feels like um, yeah. when someone close has gone, and there is that. Well, you just popped into another dimension. I, I don't know how else to say right. it. You know where it's, it's the true. Word, yeah, you know, it's and, true. And, and, and that's when you realize how strange our life is all the time. You know, exactly. <laughs> we go we go about our business as if everything were reasonable and normal, but when we lose somebody like that. Um, everything seems strange mm-hmm. and, and disorienting, and grief is really profound. I think. Yes, it it is, and you know, and of course, in our culture, you know, we do uh, everything we can to stay away from it. <laughs> yes, right. And, yeah. <laughs> I, I move just, on. Move on. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 the phrase came to me um, that grief is love's doorkeeper. And um, I, that's beautiful. Yeah, that's yeah exactly so. I feel that way about it. You know, if we can um, somehow understand that, somehow see it, and be willing, you know, to go through that door, you know, and and I think about Robert Bly, of course, another wonderful poet who said, you know, if you if you don't go into grief, you know, the big hand comes and pulls you down into the pool anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> so, well, uh, about this connection between grief and love, if I can tell a story. Do, you, do we have time for me to tell oh, a yeah, story about tell. Rabbi Lou? Yeah. yeah. Well, he, uh, before he died, I, I was, after, after his death, I was telling this quite a bit. Before he died, he gave me his, what turned out to be his last teaching. And here's what it, what it was. He had, um, he was a collector of pens, fountain pens. Oh. And uh, I knew about this, you know, for years, but I never thought much of it. Until one day I went to his house and he showed me his <laughs> fountain pen collection. And I was stunned. Because I'm laughing because he, I, I share that love, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, he, <laughs> then you know about this. He had these leather folders full of fountain pens. He'd open up a leather folder and there'd be like 300 fountain pens in this folder. And he had folder after folder. So he had maybe, I don't know how many, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of fountain pens. And each one was very valuable. And there's a whole stock market of fountain pens. You know, the prices go up and down, and they're very expensive, and people deal in them. There's a whole world that I I had no idea of. So anyway, uh, he he needed some money to send one of his kids to college, so he decided he was going to sell off part of his fountain pen collection. So he went online and uh, made a deal with somebody online who he sent them the fountain pens, and he was expecting uh, a pretty nice check in return. But the person died, and uh, the check never came, and he inquired, and he found out from the attorney who was handling the estate that there was no proper paper trail for these pens. He had never sent a bill or anything, you know, so the attorney said, well, we're not going to pay this, and uh, we don't really have to pay it because there's no record of it. And so he said, well, you know, I realized I could have gotten a lawyer myself and I could have gotten my money back, but by the time that I got my money back and paid off the lawyer, it would have been a wash, so I just let it go. He said, but it was worth it to me because I learned something really important. And I said, well, what did you learn? He said, I learned that when you're dead, you can't do anything. (laughs) (laughs) I said, what? I said, you didn't know that before? He said, well, yes, I knew it, but he said, no, I really know it. He said, this guy was a decent guy, and he surely would have paid me. 
And if he could do anything about it, he would have made sure that I got paid. But he was dead. And he couldn't do anything about it. Because when you're dead, you really can't do anything. So uh, this, was his, this was his teaching about this. And when he died, I reflected on this, and I thought to myself, well, yeah, that's exactly right. When, when someone that you love has died, there's something essential uh, in their lives that they are no longer able to do, and you have to do it. So actually, uh, I thought to myself, you know, Alan was uh, a very, very caring and compassionate person. He would care about the people in his lives so that if anything was going wrong with them, any trouble at all, he would be just as upset about the trouble as they were. Mm. And I, you know, haven't really been like that in my life, so I thought, well, I have to take that on and be more compassionate and more loving and worry about my friends more mm. because that's what he that's what he did. So I actually <laughs> since his death I've been working hard at cultivating that spiritually and uh, it, I have been doing that and it's made my life much more wonderful and also much more terrible because I am worried about so many I have a lot of friends, you know, and I'm worried about so many people. So I'm often I'm always in grief and I'm always in worry about somebody's opera today, you know, a dear friend in one of our communities is having a heart valve operation so i'm thinking about him all day and i'll go visit him tomorrow and there's never a time when this is not the case and uh you know the book that we're going to discuss next week about compassion comes out of that resolution and the strugglers itself uh, as you know the last poem in the strugglers recognition is all about how we worry and care about each other Mm-hmm. So, uh, in a way, then, the, the, the other side of the grief is a kind of gift that is given to you by the person whom you've lost, who, who mm-hmm. gives you exactly, as you said, you know, more love, a deeper, deeper loving in your life. That's, and, that is exactly your phrase. And it's really up to us to, to, pick it, to pick up that gift. I mean, really, thank right. you for telling That's us that right. story about Ellen's yeah, last thing. That was typical of his stories. They were always ridiculous and funny and <laughs> profound at the same time. <laughs> and very zen. I can say. Very zen, yes. yes very right. zen. Right. So yeah. I'm, uh, I, you know, I'm thinking about this, of course, the, Life and death, and life and death, and life and death. As we as we talk, and this is the time of of Passover, and right. this and coming Easter. Sunday yeah. coming up is Easter Sunday. So I have a little poem I'll right. offer for us now. It's called Oh, please, good. Uh, spring is a green ache. Mm. Uh, spring is a green ache. It's joy's invitation to the bones of our life to dance again, to return to life. The meadow blooms, the cross is empty, the Red Sea is parted, the goddess has returned. Where is the heart's way? Where is the soul's blossom? In the throat of the nightingale, a note breaks through our sleep and insists, live your life. Mm. That's great. Thank you. That's my my Passover poem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> and, you know, we've been talking about how poetry uses words uh, to take us beyond words and um, meditation, you know, as we teach it, uses mind <laughs> to go beyond mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Do you have a sense of this connection as well between poetry and meditation? Yeah, I think you said earlier that uh, poetry comes out of the silence. And Mm -hmm. so, uh, yeah, for me, uh, you know, I do a lot of meditation, of course. I meditate every day, and then uh, in my, all my teachings and workshops, there's always meditations. And then we do, I do a number of, week-long silent retreats each year so the the background of silence is always there Mm -hmm. and uh, so it's almost as it's almost like um, just like you know the earth the planet earth is uh, a tremendous activity surrounded by vast darkness and space Um, so the events of our lives conscious lives are 
spot of light in the middle of the deep darkness of consciousness. Mm-hmm. And poetry is language that arises uh, out of that big darkness, a spot of light, of activity, mm-hmm. of something occurring in the middle of a big, big, big nothing. <laughs> so, you know, uh, so meditation is that, references that bigger space, mm-hmm. and poetry comes out of that space, just the way our lives come out of that same space. So for me, they, they really go together. And, and I think that uh, there is no poetry that doesn't come out of meditation, you know, regardless of whether the poet is a meditator or not. Um, when, when you really are concentrated on the poem, concentrated on, on the language, you, you always reference the silence or the spaciousness that's around the languages. I think that poetry always does that at, at its best, regardless of what the perspective of the poet is. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think I would agree with that, that there's a, there's a sense of, in the, in the best poems anyway, there's always a sense of presence that is that silence. That yeah, is, right, right. That, that the poem um, uh, points to. We're about to go for a break, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a little poem as we uh, close this segment. And when we come back, I want to talk about the exercise that you did of writing 28 lines every day for a year. That fascinates me. But here, mm-hmm. here's, a li- here's a little one um, about meditation. In the heart is a well filled with the sound of silence. Drink from it. One taste changes everything. How do I know that? The day I stopped sitting on the edge and fell in told me that. You're listening to The Yoga Hour. I'm Ellen Grace O'Brien, and today's guest is Zoketsu Norman Fisher. We'll be right back with you. Hello, listeners. Did you know we've gone mobile? That's right. Your favorite Unity online radio programs are available on your mobile device. Now you can take us with you wherever you go. Using apps from Live 365 or Stitcher, you can listen to Unity Online Radio live or on demand. To learn more, visit www.unity.fm and click on Mobile Listening. Are you ready for deeper spiritual breakthroughs? Have you wondered how to apply spiritual principles to your everyday life in practical ways? Do you feel your soul is calling you to deeper purposes? Join Rev. Galen McDowell live every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Central for Truth Transforms, a discussion on how God within you, as you, is the power to transform your life. If you really believe that consciousness determines your experiences and that you are an individualized expression of God, join us as we help awaken and transform the consciousness of humanity. We will discuss, through lecture, live interviews and call-in questions, spiritual healing, prayer, prosperity, forgiveness, new thought views about eternal life, and much more. The world is waiting for your truth transformation, only on Unity Online Radio. Listening to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way with Reverend Ellen Grace O'Brien. If you have a question, please submit it via email at yogahour at unity.fm and we will respond. Now, back to the Yoga Hour. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Ellen Grace O'Brien and I'm joined today by Soketsu Norman Fisher. Uh, who has a new book of poetry out called The Strugglers. And you can find out more about his writing, um, many books, many books of poetry and um, books about uh, spiritual practice at everydayzen.org. 
org. And we've been talking about um, poetry and the uh, where words come from and the ability of words to take us beyond what words can say. And uh, in this last segment, we were talking about meditation uh, and poetry and the connection there. Um, so there's a little bit more about that. Norman, you were going to bring something in about meditation and poetry. Yeah, this is a, a short essay that I wrote uh, many years ago um, that appeared in an anthology called Beneath a Single Moon, Buddhism and Contemporary American Poetry. And in this anthology, oh, there's a lot of poets who have short poetic statements and then uh, examples of their poems. So I thought I'd read just a few paragraphs from this because, uh, you know, it's, I don't know how much it tells you, but it's kind of interesting to me. So I'll read you a few paragraphs in the beginning and then the end. Meditation and poetry. At their best, both of them, meditation and poetry, are ways of being honest with ourselves. Only by honesty can we see anything, because honesty opens the eyes or cleans them. Without it, we'd see what we'd like to see, or what we think we'd like to see, or what someone else would like us to see. Meditation is when you sit down, let's say that, and don't do anything. Poetry is when you get up and do something. <laughs> I don't think there is any escape from these activities. All of us have to do both of them, and both of them are involved with the imagination, that human, human faculty that creates, envisions, or transforms a world. And then later on, uh, I'm talking about uh, poetic form, and there are some aspects of poetic form that are not helpful, helpful, and that's why, with your eye on the main purpose of the poem, you feel compelled at first to challenge poetic form, and then later to simply do away with it, by which I mean to stop being concerned with it terribly. At this point, you are thinking in, or thinking as, technique. How do you do this? Practically speaking, I think meditation offers a feeling for or sense of experience very broadly that allows us to find a way to do this. The grip on self can very naturally loosen. The grip on meaning loosens. And there is the possibility of entering wholeheartedly into a dark or unknown territory. That and talent a little. Familiarity with poetic form a little more. Courage and luck. <laughs> An interesting footnote is that it is not a struggle. It is the release from struggle. Mm -hmm. I, I imagine that no really amusing literary work was ever conceived without meditation, without an insistent, intent, single-minded holding in the mind of a single object until it dissolves. I am convinced every poem involves this process, at least narrowly conceived, and the broader we make our meditation, the more implications it has for our poetry. Do not imagine that I am advocating a particular approach or that even worse, I am suggesting a, quote, meditative verse modeled on the Oriental or Occidental poetry written in previous centuries by meditators or contemplatives. I read and learn from this poetry, but most of it I do not like very much. No, I am talking about a life in which we can be radically simple. And out of this great simplicity or honesty, one does what one can. Mm, mm, really, really lovely, <laughs> uh, and and it's and it makes uh, such a nice segue for me to invite you to tell us about this exercise that you set up for yourself. As I understand it from uh, looking at your website, um, you 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 set yourself to compose twenty eight lines every day for a year, um, and so. I would love to hear about that. You know, what what were you thinking? <laughs> and, 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 well, and how how did it how did it you know play itself out? I mean, I can I just I imagine it being you know exciting, um, beautiful, um, horrific, <laughs> challenging, well, delightful. Tell tell us about it. Yeah. Well, there's a funny story behind this one too. Uh, most of my <laughs> Long works have some kind of quirky story behind them, but this one, um, this was in the in the nineties, uh, early nineties, when my dad was dying and he was very sick, and he would come to visit us a lot because my mother had already passed away and he was really lonely. 
And so, uh, and, and he would always bring some kind of little gift. And one time he came and he brought me a, bright, I remember it was a bright red, uh, one of those diary books. You know, this is before the age of, you know, computer eyes, calendars. And you'd have, everybody had their paper calendar. So this was a book. Uh, on the front, it said success because it was from the Success Diary and Calendar Company. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was the name of the company, mm-hmm. and uh, and it was a diary of you know the year with a page for each day, and you were supposed to write your appointments in you know in whatever notes you had for each day, and each day had twenty eight lines, uh, oh. lines. There, you know, there were lines on the page, and there were twenty eight uh-huh. lines each day. <laughs> so when he gave me that book, I said, "Well, I'm going to f- fill this book up." Uh, each day I'm going to write down 28 lines, uh, and I'll just do this for the year. It'll be my poetry project for the year. So afterward, and so I I actually wrote 365 28-line poems during that year, and no matter where I was, you know, I'd bring the book with me. Sometimes some of the poems are written in the high Sierras, you know, where I, um, where I um, was backpacking, and in that case, what I did then was I, I took a smaller notebook, you know, and I wrote 28 mm-hmm. lines, and then I transcribed it back into the mm-hmm. bigger notebook, which was too heavy to carry in, the, in backpacking. Mm-hmm. But um, later, I, I'll never forget, I was in San Jose, your town, at the Poetry Center, I think doing a reading mm-hmm. with Gary Snyder, and so there was a big audience there, and afterwards, some guy came up to me, and he, and he went on and on and on about what a profound thing it was that I had chosen to write 28 lines a day because it was a double sonnet, it was a cycle of the moon, it was the, the uh, periodic table, uh, the, the atom nitrogen or something has 28, or anyway, he went on and on. He was a scientist about the profound nature of 28 lines and what a brilliant thing it was that I had hit on this idea of writing 28 lines a day. But anyway... Uh, so I had really had fun with this, and, and I was very sad, you know, when it ended. Mm. Um, but like everything else, it did end. Mm. So um, here's uh, uh, a poem, and the, the, the poems are dated uh, with the day and day of the month and the day of the week. So this one is, I'll just read one, Friday, 27 July. Not a matter of the poems responding to its impulse, rather the other way around. To hope to chart or press upon a soul in sorrow some upward-forming arc the lines carry, and in the fluidity of language make a heart that's plugged, unplugged, or anyway, such is the hope eternal, the muse dangles to all her sad and useless slaves. The work of the world weighs more than the total of beings, it's done to serve, and what we get pulls down harder than what we give flies up, so that we float someplace, midstream, alas, probably, or just a trick of speech and meter, more likely. If you think about anything long and deep enough, it's soon beyond hope, while if you don't, you're sunk even beyond thinking. Mm. <laughs> so uh i had 365 poems but i figured who wants to publish a 365 (laughs) poem book of poems so i actually put the manuscript aside and never thought about it again until somebody said well you know you can make a selection Uh you don't have to publish them all so i actually this book success is the title of the book uh because of the journal that my father gave me, people wonder, like, why is success the title of this book? It has nothing to do with success. <laughs> but the title of the book is Success, and, uh, and, and I selected maybe 125 or 130 uh, poems from the selection. But I, uh, somewhere in my archives, you know, I've got the actual original book, uh, and it would be fun to publish the whole thing someday, but I, I don't expect so, but it'd be mm. interesting to see the whole of the 365 poems. Well, thank you so much for sharing the story about how that came to be, um, yeah. because it, it also says something, I think, about um, 
well, poetry and spiritual practice, which is, um, it, it is being present to what life brings and having an encounter with it. You know, that's, that's yeah, always exactly. there, you know, with my poems, you know, whether it's something, you know, supposedly external that has happened or that I become aware of or something that is arising within me. It's always uh, a response. And so that's such a beautiful story of, of responding to what came and, and bringing forth um, something from it. It's really mm-hmm. been wonderful to hear your poems this morning, and um, I'll, I'll, I'm going to close with one that is, it's kind of a fun one about religion, I guess. <laughs> I, I've become obsessed with religion. I you wonder, do. are the frogs saying, Allah, Allah, <laughs> Rama, Rama, Rama? <laughs> Perhaps it's Jesus. Jesus, my Buddhist friend says, I have it all wrong. He's certain they are saying, froggy, froggy. (laughs) Everyone has their own song. (laughs) So, uh, Norman, thank you for bringing your songs today, your poems, and I'm really looking forward to um, talking with you again next week, delving into this new work on the practices to cultivate compassion. And I want to remind our listeners today that they can find out more about your work at everydayzen.org. And there's another practice, uh, another um, segment with you in the Yoga Hour archives about gratitude, and that's from November 17th, uh, 2011. So you can go to the uh, Unity archives and that. And also want to let listeners know that next Tuesday begins a spiritual practice course that you can take online uh, as well as on site at CSC headquarters. Go straight to the goal, spiritual practice, realization, and awakened living. To find out more, go to csecenter.org. And remember to share about the Yoga Hour with your friends on Facebook. I look forward to being with you next time. Until then, let your inner light shine into the world. And remember to share your peace and your joy with all you meet. Bye now. Bye, Norman. Thanks again. Thank you for tuning in to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way with Reverend Ellen Grace O'Brien. Join us every Thursday morning at 10 Central, 8 a.m. Pacific, for practical, purposeful methods for spiritually conscious living every day. The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, only on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you in part by friends and members of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California, a ministry in the tradition of Kriya Yoga, the ancient science of self and God realization www.csecenter.org Request free literature by writing info at csecenter.org truly understand the laws of the universe and live a life based on these profound and unwavering truths, then your dream life starts today. No more waiting. No more wandering. If you're ready to let go of the striving and move into the allowing, you're ready for everyday attraction on Unity Online Radio. We study the teaching of Abraham given to us by beautiful Esther Hicks so we can release confusion for clarity, exchange struggle for serenity, and have the time of our lives today. Join host Ray Zander every Friday at noon Central Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on Unity Online Radio for Everyday Attraction, where the law of attraction gets real. Inspiration only takes a moment. Reverend Dr. Thomas Shepard shares this from his book, Good Questions. We are here to learn, grow, experience, savor, exalt, cherish, create, and to use our connection with that mind to make safe decisions. 
We are here to share, to be fruitful, and to multiply the good over and over again. Centering on the divine within, we become still and realize that whatever happens, we are still one with God. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA Unity ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash divine 2022 